Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Uh, today, we're going to be talking all about tackling the challenges of e-commerce operations and really a lot of what's happening behind the scenes at e-commerce businesses, what, what business owners and e-commerce managers and others in organizations are doing or should be doing in order to operate more effectively and efficiently. Um, and so with no further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, our guest and uh, let him say a little bit about himself. Chad, uh, with the Scubana team, would you do the honors of uh, telling sure. us a little about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to share any wisdom or nuggets that I possibly can with your audience today. Uh, background, I mean, I've been in e-commerce for over a decade now. Uh, started off in with my own business, manufacturing filters and home appliances, selling direct to consumer across many different channels, roughly about 10 to 15 of them. Uh, so multi-channel operations. Uh, we also utilize a fulfillment center, a 3PL. Uh, in fact, I have two of them across the United States. And out of the challenge of running my business and automating it, I couldn't find anything out there. I had a lot of failed implementations. I lost a lot of money, as you can see, a lot of hair as well, uh, and uh, and time, right? And that's the most important thing because you can really never get that back. Uh, and so we launched Scubana to really focus on the mid-market enterprise merchants and brands that are out there to help them not have to go through a painful, agonizing deployment of an operations platform, but also that's purpose-built for today's commerce. Also dabbled in uh, the Prosper Show as an early board member, which is a, really an Amazon seller's conference that was acquired by the Internet Retailer Conference and wrote a book called Cheaper, Easier, Direct. So excited to be here today and share anything I possibly can. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to ask one of my favorite questions. Uh, how did Skubana get its name? Because obviously I, I'm figuring skew there is in an item, mm -hmm. uh, but it, did that take a lot of kicking around in order to figure that one out? Like most great names, uh, the genesis derives from a lot of uh, glasses of scotch. <laughs> and so once we got at least four glasses in, we closed our eyes, me and my business partner, DJ, we closed our eyes and we said, what do all brands and sellers want in life? And the thing that came for me was this like vivid, vivid imagery of like being in Cuba, being on a hammock with a beer, my child running around on the sand and having my business run itself. So we started playing with this idea of Cubana or Cubano, right? The male version of that. Uh, Cubana. And then I was like, Scubana. And we were like, aha, that's freaking awesome. Let's do it. That is so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so we launched and, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, if I, right. A, the sort of I F Y last name, I could have been like Scubonify or something like that, but like that was played out and we just started a new trend. And hence we were, we were talking just before this call, we were talking about like the fedoras, the Cuban fedoras that we were giving out at the internet retailer conference two years ago. Uh, that's really, a, uh, really paying homage to the name and to the Cuban culture. That's really cool. I mean, I, I'm here in South Florida where I get a taste of that culture regularly, but, um, but there's something to be said for that. And it's funny that I, I was listening to a podcast the other day about how Cuban culture in for a lot of American households got introduced through the I Love Lucy show and, uh, you know, which which really became, you know, su such mainstream 
uh, Americana. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's fun to have a, a little bit of a real flavor into things like that. I mean, I'll admit for anyone that's seen the video uh, from our podcast that I've got this teal uh, paint <laughs> in my office. And I was going for this vibe that uh, I really figured if I was going to be in here all day, I wanted to be able to imagine that I was out in the Caribbean somewhere and just uh, kicking back a little bit and, and that it would, you know, it would make it a more pleasant experience for everyone, uh, that it had nothing to do with jet rails colors or any anything else in particular. It was just that this is what's going to chill me out <laughs> as, as I, you know, work on technical documents and help out partners and do what I do. Uh, right. so sometimes something just has to strike you. It, ha it has to feel right. That's, that's really, I like that. Um, now, you know, there, you kind of touched on that you tried some other platforms. You, uh, you didn't have good experiences. You lost time, you lost money. If you had to peg a specific at the time feature set going back 10 years, was there something in particular that you found that at that time, cause I'm sure things have evolved since but that the market was really missing, um, something that, that these other platforms just really all didn't have a leg to stand on for? Yeah, a couple of things. One is obviously a decade in e-commerce is sort of a lifetime in retail. And a lot of these platforms were built for a newbie seller in mind, right? A very amateur or their entry-level platforms, sort of like trying to cut a steak with a butter knife. And so they weren't built by a brand or merchant, right? Like it wasn't the framework of the platform. It just somebody had an idea or they had an MBA and they went to go solve a problem. This was actually us dog fooding the business, meaning I had my problems. I experienced them real time and I needed these problems solved. And I knew exactly how to navigate that with my business partner who essentially architected the platform. So I think that's the first piece is like the technology was just like, again, built incorrectly. And I think that was the start of it. Um, and of course, as merchants and brands have grown, these like digitally native brands have started off um, as being just direct to consumer because of just the market conditions in general, they've sort of blown up into being direct to everywhere. And with that comes a lot of complexity. And you needed to have a platform that can solve for that complexity in the right manner. And I think we we did it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a common theme in the e-commerce world that all of the the major software integrations that that I've come across through the years, and I've spent a lot of time on that side of the the industry, it you're connecting things that weren't built for e-commerce users. So whether they were CRMs or accounting suites or ERPs or um, you know point of sale software for in retail stores, these are things that were built for brick and mortar. They were built for wholesale channels that dealt with phone orders and faxes and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and other modes, uh, not necessarily for communicating effectively with a leading e-commerce platform. And uh, so I'm, I'm completely with you that, um, I think that, that that's where the market is in some cases struggled, um, because it's kept trying to integrate things that really weren't, <laughs> We're in a great yeah. fit in the first place. Um, legacy software. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you build a next generation business on last generation's technology? It's impossible to do it. And so you have to remove that friction. You need to have an agile software in order to unlock nonlinear growth. Yeah. And 
So thinking more about the individual problems that this leads to in the case of operations and what what your team solves for, yep. what are some of those actual uh, you know, challenges that, that these companies are facing when they're not using a proper solution, when they're still in Excel sheets, or um, when they're, they're using legacy software or other solutions yeah. that just aren't properly uh, achieving what should be achieved in today's market? Sure. So there's a broad range, right? There's the entry-level merchants and brands, and then there's the ones that are more advanced. So I'll start with the entry-level merchants first. Those are the people that are using Excel spreadsheets. They're using a shipping software that doesn't connect to an inventory software, or it does connect, but it's very slow, or there's a, la- there's a latency involved, or it's missing unified data to be able to make decisions in your business. So when you're using all these different softwares and it's not unified, uh, nobody's on the same page, right? So you need to have, there's this notion of, uh, you have one analyst using this software, another analyst using this software, and to actually run a systemized business, it requires use everyone on the same page using the right language, the same language. And so that's what Stubana does for these entry-level merchants and brands, right? We unify everything in one place where you take shipping and then everything else you need to run the business into one platform. And now you have data they can act on. When you look at these mid-market enterprise-level brands and merchants that are doing e-commerce and they've been doing it for a really long time, sometimes they're growing out of these entry-level software. So they're growing out of, out of a, a low-level competitor that Stubana has, um, and they want more, uh, more to, to thrive. And so these brands and merchants are looking at a big build like NetSuite or SAP or Microsoft Navision, right? These, these, these businesses were never built for e-commerce. In fact, there was no e in commerce when they first even developed the software. So they go, they try to sort of, they buy this Ferrari and nobody knows how to service it. Nobody knows how to drive it. And you're stuck through this agonizing, painful deployment that goes three acts or four acts above budget. Um, whereas Stuban is a three-week deployment cycle, right? Our implementation is three weeks to get on board our system. We have solution engineers in-house. So we're really crushing the way people are viewing how to how to run their business and what you really what are the tools or the systems that you need to run it, even as you get to the later stages of your own brand. Yeah. I, now this is a pre-recorded show, but I can hear some listeners pretty upset that you can deploy something like Scubana in three weeks, given what they've been through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, NetSuite, a year and a half, two years. Yeah. And the sales team is so good though, that they sell you on the bare bones. And then suddenly as there's a reseller, there's a consultant involved. And now suddenly you're three or four X above the scope of what it would whatever you needed initially. Yeah. I mean, that, that's uh, the and- model with a lot of um, big software. When you think of something like Salesforce, it's not just the licensing fee, it's the amount of customization that you need to really get your money back out of the software within your organization. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, so what are the major feature sets that you wound up focusing on uh, as Scubana came about? I imagine that there was uh, a core of features and that since you've continued to expand a, uh, just a little bit further. Yes. So my issue when I f- when we first started Scubana was I was just overselling inventory, and Amazon doesn't talk to eBay, eBay doesn't talk to Magento, uh, and so I was just overselling inventory and not providing a delightful customer experience. So initially, I just wanted an inventory system. I was like, that's the meat and potatoes. That's all I wanted. And DJ, my business partner, was like, no, you need to. Because there's an extra E now in commerce, you need to actually combine shipping, the order management system, and the inventory management system together. 
it'll reduce latency. And you'll be able to pull on the shipping cost of that, whether it's a 3PL or it's a or it's a shipping software like that we've built internally, pull in that dollar value. Now you can actually plug that into our analytics module and have real-time business intelligence to like move your business beyond where you ever imagined. And so um, we built orders, which is everything after the checkout, right? So orders, inventory, forecasting, demand planning, profitability, diagnostics, all in one platform with an app store. Uh, that helps you add strength to the platform with the click of a button. Hmm. Uh, we just had uh, one of our most recent episodes was about Black Friday and Cyber Monday and the holiday shopping season, Q4 2020. And it strikes me that, you know, one of the challenges that we chatted uh, about or that I chatted about with our guests um, had to do with returns. And it was pointed out that you don't even know at this point, it's, uh, you know, we're now toward the end of, of January 2021. And you don't know exactly where your balance sheet sits, because you haven't taken into account returns. And that so many marketers and so many brands focus so much on return on ad spend on ROAS for marketing campaigns without taking that kind of data into account. So I, I can see easily where, uh, where these sorts of things uh, are really difficult when the information is siloed, when the right people don't have access to the right data, uh, and they're working on some form of mis assumption or, or just perhaps misinformation about what the true uh, winners and losers are uh, across a business. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, right? Returns is one aspect, but let's, let's peel back the onion a little bit further right? and let's, let's let this flower blossom. So you have returns, but on top of that, let's just say you're selling across five different channels. You're selling across Target, Amazon, you're on Magento, or perhaps Shopify or BigCommerce, right? And maybe you're on a few other long tail channels. So as you're actually processing these orders, QuickBooks or NetSuite, they show you your revenue, they show your expenses, and they show your profit. They don't show you why you're making or losing money, specifically what SKUs on what channel. And so we pull in all that information so you actually have the why, which is the most important part of it is you know exactly what's you, what channel is your winner or your loser on, and if you're losing money on that channel, how you can just write the ship to make more money and increase your contribution margin of that specific skew on that specific channel or just liquidate it. And so I think that kind of operating profit per skew, which is to me the holy grail of what e every e-commerce merchant wants, they can't get it out of these clunky softwares, but you can get it out of Stubana. Just an example. Well, how much might you spend with a consultant with one of those clunky platforms to, to be able to pull that one report? <laughs> yeah, that's on top of it. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's, that makes sense from, from my perspective. I think that that's where a lot of businesses struggle. You know, we see the same, um, you know, at, at JetRails where they don't, uh, a lot of businesses don't have a, a good understanding of how their loading speed is impacting their overall revenue. And we can pull reporting for them based on Google's data on where their speed is at and what that's costing them. Um, there are all sorts of things that uh, often they just go neglected because, uh, you know, merchants don't have the finger, uh, the data at their fingertips. They don't have a pulse on some of these things that they really, uh, they can be extremely impactful to a business. So, and uh, Robert, when you say loading speed, you're talking about the website load time. Absolutely. About different page load speed. Uh, by the way, that is so, that is fundamental. So important to not only getting, uh, someone to actually convert on your site, 
but also for SEO purposes as well. Like I can't focus on that enough when I talk about it. People think I'm just nerding out, but I'm like so focused on speed. Yeah. And it even has an impact on some of the ad campaigns. So platforms like Google ads, they use the page speed uh, of your, your web pages when they're factoring in page scores which you're going to have to do with how much uh, you're bidding and how often your ads are being shown in what position at what cost. And, you know, sometimes some of these things, when you actually do the math on what a slow or slower than it should be site is costing you, it's not just your conversion rate, which is absolutely impacting, but absolutely it's, it's, it's stopping you in some cases from earning uh, the shoppers, uh, you know, foot traffic into your website, so to speak, from getting them to the site in the first place. So, you know, a lot of these things, there are, uh, there are these interconnected webs within e-commerce of how one thing bleeds over into another, one thing impacts another. And that's where understanding your data and, you know, having the right solutions in play, um, it it absolutely makes a lot of sense. You mentioned, um, you know, Amazon and, and eBay and certainly some of the major e-commerce platforms. Um, are there others that, that you've, any up and comers that you've seen, anything else that, that you see um, really coming about? Or, you know, we mainly see the, uh, the, the big ones continuing to, uh, to take up most of the market share. I think it's gotten a lot harder uh, for new players to really break in with any major market share, with any mm, exponential growth that uh, you've got your Magentos and big commerces and Shopify's and Amazon of the world. Most importantly, as a brand, you want to be where your customer lives or where they are, where they shop, wherever their eyeballs are, that's where you're going to get wallet share. And so for me, for specifically on my home appliances and accessories business that I still have today, but that is automated with Stubana, we are selling on Home Depot, we're selling on Wayfair, we're selling on Overstock, we're selling through those marketplaces that people don't even know exist. Google Shopping Actions, for example, uh, is another one that is uh, Google has converted a lot of their PPC into actually a referral commission share model where they're getting, you know, where it's more important to, to get a conversion over just a click and they're making money on the actual sale itself. And I think for each business, it's very different. And um, for example, if I was in beauty, I wouldn't be on Home Depot. I would probably be on Sephora in a dropship vendor model or selling through that channel. Um, Target has Target Plus now, the Target marketplace that's fairly exclusive, uh, really focusing on digitally native brands. And so I think you just have to sort of think about where the demographic of, of your ideal client profile, where they shop, where they spend their time, and focus on attracting their time and attention towards your ad spend. Makes sense to me. If, if your shoppers are Walmart shoppers, then it's probably a good place to be. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when folks get to, to Skubana, I know that I still run into merchants that absolutely are still keeping a lot of this data in spreadsheets. Um, I, I still run into a lot of merchants that are on uh, on products like QuickBooks and such for accounting and trying to run some inventory and other things out of there. Um, do you find that there are particular platforms or situations in which people are, are more readily upgrading and getting onto a more uh, a more modern stack? Is there any sort of, uh, I don't want to ask you anything too proprietary, but, um, but any sort of a, an audience um, that is 
moving faster than others. I think in the last year or so, we've all seen um, a lot of merchants making a lot of upgrades to a lot of things because they needed to catch up with with curbside and in-store pickup. They needed to catch up um, with the end of life of Magento 1. They needed lots of things happening, of course. Uh, Any trend lines that you're noticing? Uh, For sure. Um, On our website, uh, we have a good good friend at Stubon and also client is Tushy. And they make these bidets. And so during the pandemic, uh, obviously there was a run on toilet paper. People couldn't get TP. And so what they did was they aver- they really wanted bidets. To, and so this company blew up. And as you're reaching a certain escape velocity and as you're scaling really quickly, one of the fundamental pillars of Subana is really complexity. So the more complex, the more the faster you're growing, the more things are breaking, and the more we thrive because we actually can actually help you overcome those complexities and do it in a very uh, beautiful way um, and an efficient way as well. And so they needed to ship directly from from Hong Kong or Asia directly into the United States and pivot super quick into a different third-party warehouse to get their merchants what they needed and to delight them. And we were able to accomplish that. And we have that case study on our website. So that's just that's one example. I would say that. The rising tide of the shift of spend to online retail from offline retail, sort of the rising tide lifted all ships. Like our, we had our best year ever. I think a lot of our brands and merchants had our best year ever. I would probably say that if you're in the travel category, that has probably taken a little bit of a dip, right? Just like travel stopped and perhaps the brands that were focused on high-end fashion or started working on, uh, comfortable fashion, right? Work from home fashion, uh, being comfortable with yourself and uh, with the clothing that you're wearing when you're working from home and still looking good. So uh, I think our brands had a great had a great year. Um, it's of course across a really terrible backdrop, but we've been, at least at Stubana, the way I look at it is like we've been positioned to help. We helped our customers stay in business. Right. We helped our clients, our brands, our merchants stay in business during a crazy turbulent time with a lot of unknowns. And we were there for them to help them grow. And I think that's most important. Um, but yeah, it was a tough year for a lot of people out there. And, and my wife owns a yoga studio, right? And so like, we issued a yoga studio in New York and it's been decimated with the pandemic. So not everybody has had the same experience that we've had being the fact that we're in e-commerce, but uh, I feel feel very blessed. Uh, it's well said. I, I think that in e-commerce, there are a lot more, uh, to, to, to put it a little bit inelegantly, more winners than losers. If we were to look at it on a spreadsheet, um, mm-hmm. a lot of categories significantly up. I mean, a, as a web host, you know, we helped a lot of businesses through their scalability challenges. And, you know, we got to s- see some of the benefits of where we sit in the ecosystem as a result. Um, and that's not to say that everyone was growing. So, you know, there are websites that, you know, we may have been dealing with that are selling event tickets or other things that you know, we're not having that mm-hmm. kind of a year. Um, and, you know, thinking about that, that pivot uh, for a lot of businesses, you know, I know that a lot of the offline businesses had to get online quickly and that that has its own set of challenges for a retailer or a wholesaler that now, um, really needs to do a much better job of making uh, ordering uh, catalogs and ordering available through the internet uh, the way that they probably wanted to earlier, but just hadn't been pushed to or hadn't achieved yet. What about the folks that were selling more so 
uh, either you know direct to consumer through Amazon or uh, wholesale through retailers. Uh, you know, I imagine that uh, a lot of folks have been. You know, I've seen growing into e-commerce um, aren't necessarily net new to uh, to the industry. Um, per se, but maybe they just didn't have their own e-commerce retail sales channel before. Um, have you been running into any all of variations that, yes. of that? Yeah. So like, suddenly e-commerce became, this is an area we need to focus on right away. And it wasn't getting a lot of mind share internally at big corporations and they need to pivot. And they're using these legacy technologies that I'm talking about where they, it, they can't, it's just for them, their technology just leaves them in a muddle. So They've been discovering Subana through their RFP process, uh, and we've been helping them. So yeah, we've been seeing a ton of like traditional retailers making the move, embracing e-commerce as an actual channel, and really putting a lot of mental energy into winning market share in the e-commerce world. Yeah. And that's trickling over, by the way, into Amazon as well, because Amazon was like frenemy to a lot of retailers, and sort of people didn't want to embrace it. And now, obviously, Amazon being 50% of e-commerce share in general of transaction share, they're now like, okay, we need this is a channel we need to we need to optimize and start selling through. And you're seeing ad spend crushing people on on specific categories, which is now like big companies who don't have to worry about this budget just go, are going crazy, which is increasing the the uh, advertising cost of sale for all those that are actually. Uh, in that specific category. Yeah, well, uh, and it stands to reason that look, I, I watched from the early days of platforms like Google Ads and lots of others where the cost per click was relatively cheap, just like SEO, uh, the competition wasn't as fierce. Um, you could rank uh, with a new site relatively quickly compared to what we experience today in a, a much more uh, full market, so to speak, online that um, that having such fierce competition, that having already so, so many others vying for the same rankings and the same shoppers and the same customers, uh, it brings its own challenges to to the internet. And I think that you know that's where you have to have your sharp margins. You have to be really you know operating efficiently. You, you have to uh, you know be able to pull apart your winners and your losers and. Uh, and really get it right because it, it is more competitive. And when people are shopping somewhere like Amazon, I mean, you know, I always think of it as, uh, you know, whoever's selling the item the cheapest is going to get the buy box, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, or a similar item um, that it, it's much more of a commodity play. They're not really your customers. They're Amazon's customers. And, you know, they're going to find what they're looking for. I mean, uh, there are some cases where they're looking specifically for a name brand, but in uh, a lot of others, they're very flexible. I think 70% of the search volume on Amazon today is actually not name brands. It's just the generic word. I'm looking for tinfoil. I'm looking for a water bottle uh, versus a name brand. So I think you're seeing a lot of brand equity being diluted specifically around that because now people shop based on reviews and ratings and what Amazon gives them on the first page in the discovery process. Uh, so yeah, you're seeing a lot of that happening right now. And just to address you know, what you're speaking about, about profitably earning that customer's business, in 2020, what, what I saw in 2020 was a lot of venture capital spending a lot of money to invest in these direct consumer brands. And like all people cared about was top line revenue. 
So 2020 to me was like the year of revenue. 2021 to me is the year of profitability. Now people are really starting to smarten up and say, okay, what is the lifetime value of our customer? Uh, what's our cost of acquisition to get that customer? How do we increase that over time? How do we actually make sure that we're profitably making money and sustainably scaling the business amidst a pandemic? And it's no, it's no small order. Uh, you know, it's a big challenge to be able to look. Building a business that drives some revenue is one thing. Being profitable is quite different as, as a lot of us in tech know. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of really popular tech brands that are yet to turn a profit. So uh, seeing venture capital head in, as you've suggested, in, into these direct-to-consumer brands and other things, I think that that's a challenge that they're going to have to overcome. That uh, you know, With tech, we're always estimating customer lifetime value and trying to elongate it and figure out how we can be stickier and bring more value and uh, and all these different things. I, I think it's not that uh, it's not that a consumable or other thing that they're not trying to figure out how can they do that. But I think depending on what was being invested into, I mean, you know, some of the best brands that have gone direct to consumer online, um, companies like Warby Parker, how often am I buying new glasses? You know, companies uh, like Casper with mattresses, you know, how often am I replacing my mattresses? There are uh, there are challenges to some of the models. I'm sure that some of that knowledge isn't lost on <laughs> on investors. Um, but I, I'm going to circle back for a second because you know we've talked about a lot of sizes of merchants. How big do you think a merchant typically needs to be before they're going to start really running into these challenges? Is it about the number of products that they have, the amount of sales or revenue that they're having? Um, is it uh, you know is it about some other metric? that is kind of the breaking point when they start to really feel the pain of, of still being in spreadsheets or still using legacy systems or otherwise not being uh, analytical enough and nimble enough uh, in the market? Yeah, I think uh, Notorious B.I.G. said it best. He said, "Mo money is mo problems. And so what happens is as you're scaling an e-com brand, uh, once you hit a specific revenue threshold and you start wanting to expand, it could be an astute count, it could be in fulfillment methodology or warehouses or how you fulfill. Uh, maybe you're having two warehouse footprints, or maybe you're going from five SKUs to 15 SKUs and you're doing bundle, bundling and kidding. But regardless of that, um, we, what we see at Skubana is typically at about two or $3 million. That's really when the problems start to arise of revenue. Uh, and it goes all the way up from there. And then on the flip side of that is you have these big brands that are trying to embrace e-commerce right now. And trying to figure out, okay, like how do I sell direct consumer? I can't do it on my green screen technology that I have from 1972, so I need to upgrade. So I think you have two different things that are happening, but it comes down to the fundamentals, which is just complexity. The more complex, the more money you're making, the more SKUs you have, the more channels you have, the more fulfillment places you have, that's where Stubana becomes uh, powerful. Uh, it certainly uh, makes sense. And, you know, I... I don't often on the podcast talk so much about partnerships, but it's what I do when I'm not taping podcast episodes. And I think it's particularly interesting. You know, you talk about uh, systems like you know Microsoft Dynamics, Navision, um, you know Nav, and and others. I don't imagine that those teams are spending nearly as much time uh, working on their own integrations via APIs and uh, w working on 
solving problems with others uh, in the e-commerce ecosystem uh, the way that a team like yours might be. How has partnership really impacted what you do and how you operate? Partnerships is a very great channel for Scubana specifically. One is because, like I mentioned, we have an app store. So the app store helps us add strength to the platform and bring best-in-class softwares into the mix where we don't actually uh, play in that space. So I think that's a, a very important piece of it uh, is the technology integration that we have in the app store. And then B, when it comes to partnerships, I think about like what's one step removed from Scubana in the e-commerce world. So it could be a channel like Amazon or Walmart or eBay or anyone else or, or Target, or it could actually be like a 3PL. So we have a really symbiotic relationship with fulfillment centers because essentially they kind of go hand in hand. Stubana as an operating system and a third-party fulfillment center. Uh, you need if you're moving to 3PLs, you need an operation system. If you have an operation system and you're considering fulfillment, 3PLs are always part of that conversation. Cool. And uh, you know, I'm going to pick your brain just a little bit before I, I let you run for the day. Uh, anything new coming down the pike? Anything else interesting or exciting crossing your desk? Interesting, exciting. I mean, we, I, everyone loves shiny objects, and um, Scubana certainly is uh, back in operations and automation. Isn't the most sexy thing to a lot of people, but to me, it's one of necessity. It's not a luxury, and I, I just love shaking what our mama gave us. Right, I want to really focus on making our clients happy, and once they have that outcome, it'll be a great outcome for everybody at the company. Uh, in terms of things that I'm seeing right now, there's a lot of buzz around just a you know, we talked about 3PLs. There's a lot of buzz about 4PLs. Are you familiar with the 4PL? I'm going to have you educate our audience. So I I'm going to play dumb for a second here. <laughs> Got it. So like, <laughs> it's like 3PL or 3G, 4G, 5G. And so you're seeing 3PLs, which are fulfillment centers uh, that we have really good relationships with. Let's just say it's Ruby right. has or uh, Shipmonk, for example, will be another one. Now what you're seeing is instead of the fulfillment center owning the underlying asset, the warehouse, mm -hmm. they're saying, hey, we're going to go find these fulfillment centers. We're going to white label them with our own uh, brand. And uh, you'll be able to use their idle space, almost like an Airbnb for fulfillment warehouses. Makes sense. So we've, we're going from a third-party fulfillment uh, and logistics uh, to a fourth-party uh, logistics center where you know it, it's... It's on demand. It reminds me of what we do with AWS, where you know we have our own servers and you know out in Chicago, and and we host lots of our, our clients on bare metal uh, that we manage. But we use AWS, where you know you don't know exactly which rack somewhere you're actually using. Um, you're leveraging uh, a network that's already up and running, and so you're not responsible for all of that infrastructure. Um, they handle it. It's just, it's so interesting that so many facets uh, of technology and the e-commerce industry as a whole are running into that paradigm of, you know, you don't need to own it, manage it, pay for everything all the time that we can have more of this shared economy for it. Uh, even in some ways, the way that I think about open source, you don't need to code everything yourself that we can do this as a community and maintain it together. And uh, you know, it, it's an economy that scales much better mm -hmm. than everyone out there uh, responsible for all the costs by themselves. 
uh, you know, so that, that's particularly yeah. interesting. Yeah, I haven't been it's, seeing it's as much. As, I, I'm reading more about folks building these these you know brand new pristine fulfillment centers that they're not going to be using directly that they're going to be leasing out in this sort of a way. Mm. Like they're perceiving the demand. Uh, but there's that's a lot of money going into this right now. Yeah. into this 4PL model. Now, interesting though, being a brand and merchant, also working with brands and merchants who are always suffering from the pain of working with these fulfillment providers that never deliver on their promises, that overpromise, they underdeliver, they make mistakes, they contribute to a lot of their returns, they have no customer support. It's going to be interesting to see how these 4PL models shake out. There's a lot of money being put into this right now. And I'm curious, and I wonder if how sustainable it'll be uh, because people want to be able to be nimble and agile, be able to move. Like we're agnostic. So Subana is agnostic to any, if, if you use one 3PL and you want to move another one, you can quickly shift resources very, very quickly and plug into those resources. But if you're tied to a network and you're also using software that's tied to the network and you can't sort of unlock that, right? It's tethered together. It's going to run into a lot of challenges, scaling issues into the future. Yeah. You know, I. I think that we're going to see a lot more money moving into this. Uh, look, I mean, a- anything tech in the last you know year to anything e-commerce gets the markets really excited, gets investors really excited because it's the future, it's growth. Uh, but I- I'm with you that uh, <laughs> it's going to bring its own challenges as these things evolve. That uh, as often happens. So- Look, Chad, you've been really generous with, with your time today. Uh, I'm sorry that we're not getting to catch up in person like we normally do, but this was absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, you know, we hope to hear some updates from you soon. And <laughs> hopefully there'll be a lot more good news coming out of the e-commerce industry. So Totally. Um, thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for letting me share. And if anybody wants to find out more, you can always email me at my personal email. It's just chat at stubana.com. Awesome. And uh, for our listeners, thanks as always for tuning in. Happy selling and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.